All right, welcome to part one of this new series we're calling Uncommon. I think it's going to be a great series. It's going to run the length of February. It's going to be four weeks. So this is part one of four-week series. I think God's going to speak to us at each installment as we look at uncommon commitment, communication, and conflict. And then we'll start uh, with something uh, specific today. But first, I want to uh, just let you know that yesterday morning, uh, we had a worship team uh, gathering. All the worship team got together, and uh, Chris Brown uh, led Uh, the worship team in honoring Andy and Linda Beard. Many, many, many of you know Andy and Linda Beard who've led worship here for 20 years. And uh, uh, he had shoulder surgery uh, last year and stepped away for uh, a little while to recover from that. And then uh, just as they uh, prayed and decided what to do next, uh, they decided 20 years was a nice round number and um, that they're going to step away and kind of decide what's next for them in their uh, ministry. And, and uh, man, it's just been awesome serving with Andy and Linda Beard. And uh, yeah, come on. Yeah. I remember uh, there was, they've done so much for our church. I mean, I, w- I wouldn't even be at Rockbrook if it were not for them. And uh, Rockbrook would look a lot different. I remember there was a time a few years in after we planted as a church, we were meeting in the hotel ballroom up off 71 Highway. And Pastor Kelly, in the middle of a weekend service, asked, if you were invited here or here because of Andy and Linda Beard, raise your hand. And hands went up all across the room. And it was obvious that we wouldn't be a church or even have a gathering that day if it were not for them. And just their excitement about their church and the commissioned life that they live and uh, how they bring people in to know God uh, is absolutely incredible. Uh, If it weren't for Andy and Linda, there would be no Saturday night services uh, at all. I mean, that was, they really took the leadership on that when we started, started those years and years ago. Andy has taught me through his, his example what it means to be a godly son, a godly husband, and a godly father. And uh, their voices have encouraged so many of us time and time again. Uh, so thank you, Andy and Linda Beard, uh, so much. Just one more time for them, would you please? That's so great. Yep. All right, well, today we're going to start a, uh, this relationship series, and as we start this, as I want to talk about how to choose the right person, how to choose the right mate, how to choose your spouse. We're going to talk to the married couple through the rest of this series, and those principles will be transferable really to many different relationships in your life. But we have hundreds of people on our role in the church who are single adults um, who would love to be married, and we love you guys and want to speak to you today. In your life, two of the most important choices you're going to make are one, will I ever get married? Because that's a choice. And two, if so, who will I marry? Who's it going to be? Marriage is awesome. Next to deciding who Jesus Christ is, who you decide to marry is the second most decision you'll ever make in your life. And uh, the Bible says that he who finds a wife finds a good thing. Marriage is incredible. And it's the second most important question you'll ever answer. Proverbs 12, 26 says that the righteous choose their friends carefully. Now, if you're supposed to choose your friends carefully, you should be even more careful about who's going to be your spouse, right? Because it's a choice. The problem is nobody teaches us how to do that. There's not a class on it. Many parents forget to teach their kids about this. And as a result, many people end up in the wrong marriage for the wrong reasons. And as your pastor who loves you, I don't want you to do that. Uh, So today we're going to look at what the Bible says 
is God's checklist for choosing the right person. But before we do that, I want to dispel a few myths, um, and I want you to write these in your outline. These are myths about marriage that many of us believe. The first myth is that God chooses my mate for me. That's a myth. The truth is God leaves the choice up to you. God guides and he gives us guidelines, but God has not predetermined your spouse. Okay, the second myth is that there's only one right person for me. That's very romantic. There's only one person in the universe for me, but it's just not true. It's not biblical. It's not even logical because if there was only one right person for everybody in the world, then it would just take one person making the wrong decision to upset that for everybody else. Okay, let's say I was supposed to marry a woman named Madeline. I asked my wife what name to put in there, and she said, use the name Madeline. I don't know why, but... (laughs) But I didn't marry Madeline. I married Lauren. Then all of a sudden, I messed it up for the person who was supposed to marry Lauren, and now Madeline, the person who was supposed to marry her, is marrying somebody else, and then they can't marry the people that they were supposed to marry, and I just upset the apple cart for the entire universe. (laughs) It's just not logical. In your life, there are multiple, multiple people that God would say, it's your choice, that's okay. If you want to marry them, you can marry them. There are millions of people he would say, no way, Jose, do not marry that person. (laughs) One more myth, and that myth is love alone is reason enough to marry. You see people all the time who... Their families clash, their spiritual backgrounds clash, their personalities clash, they don't have the same amount of energy, same amount of ambition, they don't have the same values, goals, anything, nothing is alike, but we love each other. Friends, given the right situation, I could get you to fall in love with anybody. Love is a choice, and given the right circumstances, you could be romantically inclined with anyone. Just because you love someone does not mean you should marry them. Love is not enough. It takes a lot of other things, and that's what we're going to look at today. God doesn't tell you who to marry, but he does clearly give us the description of the people that we should associate with, that we should choose as friends, that we should unite our life with, and and be in a covenant relationship with. So I'm going to give you a list of things today from the Bible, things that you must have in your life and in your mate's life. And you can add to this list if you want. But what I'm giving you today is uh, the bare minimum of the marriage God blesses. And uh, if he or she does not meet these qualifications, deal breaker. I don't care how much I love them. I don't care how uh, sweet we get along together, how much we have fun, how much we have in common. It doesn't matter. It's these things. Here's the first one. The first thing uh, we have to have is we must, must have spiritual unity. Spiritual unity. That means we believe the same thing about God and about Jesus. And we have a relationship with God individually. If you aren't spiritually unified with your spouse, you are never going to enjoy the depth of intimacy in every other area. You cannot have the ultimate physical, emotional, and sexual unity that God wants you to have if you're not unified in the number one area of your life. 
Your commitment to Jesus Christ, your relationship to God should be the biggest, most important part of your life. And if I can't share the most, the biggest part of my life with my wife, we're living on different wavelengths. We've got different worldviews. Our marriage will be shallow our entire lives. It will be shallow and there will be problems. If you want God's protection on your marriage, if you want God's blessing on your marriage, then God's got to be at the center. Remember, marriage is God's idea. God thought it up. God thought up sex. God thought up intimacy. God thought up family and children and the whole big idea. So he designed it. And God designed it that marriage, he designed marriage like this, that as we move closer to God, that's how we move closer to one another. Okay, marriage is a three-legged stool with God and the husband and the wife. And as soon as you take God out of the equation, marriage doesn't achieve its purpose, and you're most often headed to destruction. God is absolutely clear about this first one. Let's look at some verses. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 15. Do not be yoked together. And so yoke is something that it would uh, fasten two livestock together. Put this so they're forced to go in the same direction. Don't be yoked together with unbelievers. What fellowship, you could put in the word intimacy there, what intimacy can light have with darkness? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? In other words, if you don't have spiritual unity, how in the world can you be unified in every other area? I'll just be honest with you today. True confession from your pastor. I don't like to rub people the wrong way. I don't like to upset them. I don't like to offend them. I want people to like me. I want people to be happy with me. But when someone comes to me and tells me about their fiance and how much they have in common and how great the relationship is and all these wonderful things, but there's just one problem, they're not a believer. He's not a believer. She's not a believer. I am very blunt. And I I just tell them, you are making the biggest mistake of your life. And I love you enough to tell you the truth. That if you don't have spiritual unity... You're not going to enjoy marriage the way God intended because the biggest area of your life is not the same as your spouse. And if you have committed your life to Christ, you are not free to then give your life away to someone who has not committed their life to Christ. You are not free to be with someone who rejects your Savior. You can do it, but you're saying, God, I don't want your blessing in my marriage. I don't want... uh, your success in my marriage. I don't want your protection in my marriage, and I'm going to willfully ignore what the Bible says. 2 Corinthians 6.14 in another translation, it says, do not unite yourself with an unbeliever. They are not fit mates for you. Don't gamble the second most important decision in your life. So this is the starting point. I, I must have spiritual unity. The Bible says this in Romans uh, 1.12. The Apostle Paul is talking to a church And he says, when we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith, and I want to be encouraged by yours. And that's what God wants to do in marriage. He wants the faith of the husband to encourage the faith of the wife, and the faith of the wife to encourage the faith of the husband. How can your faith help each other if one of you has no faith or a different faith? Uh, It's kind of like this. And hey, Kyle, could you come come right over here? I didn't tell Kyle I was going to do this. Just stand right, right there. He grabbed me by the hand, and Kyle's a good friend of mine, is would it be easier for me and our friendship, is it easier for me to pull Kyle up to where I am or Kyle to pull me down to where he is? 
down. We just did a whole series on this. Down. Everything wants to naturally go down away from the thing that you're trying to achieve. But Kyle, come up here. Well, when Kyle's up here in our friendship, I can encourage him in his faith. He can encourage me in my faith because we're on the same wavelength. We have the same worldview. We have the same perspective. But go back down. But every time I can think, oh, I'm going to join up with this person in friendship or in marriage and I'll pull them up to where I am. That is not how it happens. They will pull you down. Thanks, Kyle. You must have spiritual unity in your marriage. By the way, if you say, uh, what if I'm already married to an unbeliever? Well, you love them. You pray for them. You pray that they come to know God. And you don't give up. Do not give up on that marriage. And uh, come back for the rest of the weeks. We'll talk about this. But spiritual unity is the biggest part of the equation. But not all of it. The second non-negotiable in choosing a life partner is we must not only have spiritual unity, but two, we must have life purpose compatibility. In other words, we have to be headed in the same direction in life. Amos 3.3 says, can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? Obvious answer is no. If, if we were to start out here and you were to walk to those doors and I was to walk to those doors, we could walk together for a little bit and then maybe make it work a little bit longer, but eventually we're headed in two different directions and one of us is going to have to abandon why God created us and go the other direction if we're to continue walking together. And you've got to have some life purpose compatibility, otherwise it's going to end in disaster. You're going to have life conflict. The implication of this is that you're not ready to marry until you know why you exist. And I would encourage you to uh, go through our growth track, to read the Purpose Driven Life book. That's an incredible resource for this. To identify your mission, to realize God put you here for a reason. Uh, He did three things. He shaped you, he gifted you, he called you. Three verses, let's write these in. The first one is he shaped you. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Circle prepared in advance. Did you know that before you were born, God already decided why you would be born when you're born? He ordained where you would be. And one day you're going to face God and he's going to ask, what did you do with what I gave you? You were given certain gifts and passions and abilities and experiences and a personality and you were alive at the time you were alive because I created you then. You were living where you live because I ordained that and you were alive then because I wanted you to be alive then. And I wired you with spiritual gifts and a heart and ability and personality and experiences to be used to love God, to love the people around you, to build up the church, to help people grow, to share Christ with them. How did you do in succeeding to that? God, he's going to ask, did you do that? Is your answer going to be, no, Lord, I couldn't because I met a really cute guy. (laughs) I met a really cute girl. And I could no longer succeed in what you had for me. He not only shaped you, he gifted you. 1 Peter 4.10 says, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Third, God not only shaped you and gifted you, but he also called you. 
Every Christian is called by God, and the Bible says that marriage is a partnership to fulfill your calling. Hebrews 3.1, brothers and sisters, you are holy partners in a heavenly calling. And the purpose of marriage is to make you more effective in making a difference for God. If marriage keeps you from making a difference for God, then you miss the point of marriage. The point of marriage is to be a symbol between Christ's covenant love and the, and the church, his body, his people, and to also uh, unite together with someone who can help you be more effective in making a difference for God. So here's what you do. You picture your life purpose, your mission in life as a circle, okay? As a circle. And you, the person you're interested in, their life purpose, their mission as a circle. And you ask, do these circles overlap in any way? How much do they overlap? Could they overlap so much that they become one? Because when you have that oneness, it's incredible. You know, Lauren, my wife and I, we have many qualities that are the exact opposite. Uh, she's mathematic. I'm artistic. Okay, she can do math in her head. That is like a superhero power to me. Like, one day I'll maybe be bit by a spider and be able to do math in my head all of a sudden. That would be great. I'm more of a dreamer. She's a detailer. She always knows the date and the time. Friends, it's possible I could go multiple days in a row without ever knowing the date, all right? She likes the beach. I like the mountains. She gets energy and, and is refueled from being with a small group of people or in her home or alone. I get that energy from a, being around a lot of people. She likes action movies. I like slapstick comedies. But even in those differences, we're still very compatible because we have similar commitments and passions, and we're committed to the local church, and we're committed to raising uh, kids a certain way, and helping other people know God, and we're aligned financially, that we may look at our finances differently, we may have a different perspective, but we're united in what our finances ought to be doing, and these compatibilities make us a powerful team that gives us opportunities I, could, I would have never imagined. When I fell in love with Lauren, I had no idea everything God was going to do in my life. I didn't know I'd become the senior pastor at Rockbrook Church. I didn't know where I was going to work. She didn't know where she was going to work. We just knew that we wanted to honor him. We wanted to honor the word. We didn't know. There were gifts uh, that were yet to be discovered in our lives. But we knew primarily why we existed and what our values are going to be. And as a result, that has given us impact. So you not only have to have spiritual unity, you have to have the same life purpose compatibility. And God's gifted you, he's shaped you, he's called you. And the fact is, you, mo you both may be lovely people, fine people. God's gifted you, shaped you, and called you, and, and you may love each other. And everything may be great there, but that doesn't mean you should still get married. That you have to have some compatibility in this area. The Bible actually tells us that one of the advantages of being single is that you have solitary purpose. That you have undivided attention to that life mission. All right, here's the third non-negotiable. Is we must have spiritual unity, life purpose compatibility. And number three, we must be emotionally healthy. Now, I did not say emotionally perfect because 
you're going to marry a sinner, and you're a sinner. And two imperfect people cannot make a perfect relationship, so you've got to put that out of your mind. But some people are healthier than others, and you need to avoid, avoid that unhealthy person. The book of Proverbs calls this person the fool. Avoid them at all costs. So you've got to figure out the emotional health of that person before you get too far into a relationship. So I just want to give you a partial checklist of emotional health factors. And uh, these aren't my opinion. This is, comes from studying what God says to avoid in your relationships and the types of people that you should associate with, be friends with, and even unite with. And if you, if you spot any of these that we're going to talk, to the Bible, or talk about, the Bible says you're asking for trouble. You don't want trouble in your marriage. If you hear me teach this and then you go marry a person who uh, has some of these or contradicts some of these, you cannot turn around and blame it on God. You knew the risk you were taking going in. Uh, So let me give you a list of factors. Uh, This isn't all of them, but this is a partial checklist of emotional health factors. Uh, The first one, whoever I marry must have no uncontrolled anger. No uncontrolled anger. Proverbs twenty two twenty four. Do not make friends. I think that would include going out on a date or getting married with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered. Why? Because uncontrolled anger reveals a deep insecurity and low self-worth. And if I don't like myself, I don't like anybody. I don't like anyone around me. Uh, Let me illustrate it this way. If you were to take a cup like this and fill it to the brim with liquid, you can barely pick it up without spilling some. And it's difficult to walk. And if you bump into anything or make any sudden moves, it's going to spill out of there. So if you marry someone who's full of anger... What's going to happen is, who are they bumping into now? You. Or when they bump into other people, you're so close, who is it going to spill on and splash on? You. That's why the Bible says, don't associate with one easily angered. The Bible says, run from the person who, who has this uncontrolled anger because it's going to turn around and get on you. The guy who's filled with anger or a woman who's filled with anger, anytime you bump into them, it's going to come out. And who's it going to splash on? So if you see someone with uncontrolled anger, run. Because they're going to turn that anger onto you. And you're going to take the brunt of it because you're going to be the closest. So that's a non-negotiable. And you can discern this early on. What do they get upset about? People with anger get upset about things that don't even affect them. Like something in traffic or they hear something on the radio or in the news or they hear a story and it's not like a righteous anger like, well, God is not pleased with that. No, they're upset and it doesn't even even affect them. So you you can figure out if someone has an anger problem pretty soon. The next one is whoever I marry must have no addictions. And here's why. Because you want to marry someone who's walking by the Spirit. And addictions reveal that uh, they're not walking by the Spirit, but they're gratifying the flesh. Proverbs 23.20 says, Do not join with those who drink too much wine or gorge themselves on meat. So only two addictions mentioned here, food and alcohol. But you know there's a thousand different ways to get addicted, 
I mean, drugs, pornography, gambling. I mean, there's a thousand different ways. I, I don't even need to cover this point anymore. But whoever I marry must have no uncontrolled anger, no addictions, and the next one, no bitterness. They've got to deal with it before they deal with you. If your boyfriend or girlfriend is carrying resentment uh, from his or her past, uh, you are not ready to marry. And as your pastor who loves you, I tell you, bitterness can tear it all down. It doesn't matter if you have great jobs, you're both good looking, you've got great kids, got a good car, great family, great everything. Bitterness can tear it all apart. Here's why. Because what you resent, you begin to resemble. What you resent, you begin to resemble. I'm never going to be like my mother. I'm never going to be like my father. And because you resent that thing, that's the very person you begin to become. What resists persists. It's like this. If you were to take a hammer and a nail and you were to hammer that nail into the wood, the wood is going to resist that nail. It doesn't want the nail in the wood. But it's that resistance that creates the pressure is what holds the nail in. If the wood would just release the nail, the nail would, it wouldn't stay in there. But it's that resistance and that pressure that, that hold the nail in and then over time, the wood and the nail become one. And so you've got to release it. You've got to stop resenting. You've got to release it. The Bible says this in Hebrews 12, 15. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. If you start dating a guy or a girl who has bitterness from something in the past and they're holding on to it and they're not letting go after you're married, that bitterness is going to cause trouble in your marriage, and it will defile your marriage. A woman who has unresolved bitterness with her dad is going to take it out on her husband. A man who has unresolved issues from a past relationship is going to take it out on his wife. This is why a very important question to ask is how do they treat their parents? Ladies, if you want to know how your husband is going to treat you, look at how he treats his parents, how he treats his mother. See at what kind of respect the guy gives his mom. Look at that. I've seen this over and over and over. You might say, but they're not marrying their parents. They're marrying me. Uh, you're right, but they're bringing the parents into that relationship. So you're not marrying their parents, but you do join a family. You marry a family. And you may not like that, but that's true. You marry a family. Proverbs 20, verse 20 says, if someone curses their father or mother their lamp will be snuffed out in pitch darkness. That's pretty strong. What does that mean? What in the world does that mean? It means the lamp of your life will be snuffed out. It means the light of your life, that you miss the life God intended for you. This is why one of the Ten Commandments is to honor your father and mother. And you might say, but my parents don't deserve to be honored. And your parents, maybe you never knew them, Maybe one of them was an alcoholic. Maybe they were alcoholics. Maybe you were abused. Maybe you never received any encouragement as a child. Maybe they didn't do what they should have done as parents. Maybe you say, why did God choose the parents I've got? 
My parents didn't do diddly squat for me in my life. In fact, they hurt me. And anything they did for me, then they held it against me. Why should I honor my parents? Why did God choose them to be my parents? Well, regardless of whether they were good or bad or terrible parents, God chose them because they had just the right DNA to create you the way you are. And friend, you are amazing. You're incredible. God knew what he was doing when he, when he made you. And your parents may have not held up their end of the bargain, but you would not exist if God did not use them to create you. And I'm not saying honor their sin. The Bible never says that. I'm not saying honor their abuse, honor their neglect, honor their crimes, honor their problems, but you do have to release that bitterness. And you need to make sure before you marry that person that they have released the bitterness. So no uncontrolled anger, no addictions, no bitterness. And the next one is whoever I marry uh, must have no selfishness. Selfish people, scripture says, they cause trouble. So look at your date with them. Does he ever open the door for you? Does she uh, talk about anything else other than herself? So, I mean, the number one cause of conflict in marriage, when you boil it all down, is simple. It's selfishness. It's I want what I want, you want what you want, and I'm not budging and you're not budging. And it's immaturity and it's selfishness. And the more unselfish I am, then the more we're going to get along. Proverbs 18.1 says, I love this. People who do not get along with others are only interested in themselves. They will disagree with what everyone else knows is right. Do you know anyone like that? Like, no, bro, this is like black and white. Like, this is the way it is. And no, they disagree with what everyone else knows is right. It can be the most obvious thing, but yet they choose to disagree. The next one is, the person I marry cannot be greedy. No greed. If you want a peaceful marriage, if you want a successful marriage, don't marry a greedy man. Don't marry a greedy woman. If you marry a greedy spouse, you will be in debt the rest of your life. You'll always be in debt because they will always find some reason or some justification to spend more than you have and to, there'll just be this sense in your marriage of discontentment the whole time that we've just never, we never quite gotten there or, or man, we just, we just did this and now we're changing and doing, there's, it just leads to discontentment in your life. And the book, or book of Proverbs even says, just don't even eat at the table of a stingy person. It's just saying, don't associate, get away from, don't hang out with those kinds of people. One of the clearest signs of emotional health is actually the opposite of these last two. So these are things that you are looking for. And the clearest signs of emotional health is they must be generous and kind. Are they generous and are they kind? Why do I want to marry someone who's generous? Ryland, why would you put that on a list of non-negotiables? Because of this right here. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. You want to prosper in your marriage, in your life? It comes through generosity. You want your kids to prosper? Not only financially, but just in life. It comes through generosity but also kindness. Proverbs eleven seventeen. Those who are kind benefit themselves, but the cruel bring ruin on themselves. 
Notice greed brings trouble, selfishness brings trouble, bitterness brings trouble, addictions bring trouble, but generosity and kindness bring benefits. It brings prosperity. It brings respect. One more essential we must have, an emotionally healthy person tells the truth. A righteous person lives on the basis of his integrity. His children will be blessed even after he's gone. Do you want your children to be blessed? Then you marry someone who tells the truth. Why is this so important? Because love is based on trust and trust is based on truth. If you don't tell me the truth, I can't trust you. If you don't tell me the truth, I can't love you. Don't marry someone who doesn't have integrity. And when you find someone who has integrity, the Bible says that it's going to bring blessing. Not only on you and your marriage, but on your kids too, even after you die. Now, did you notice this with me today? Did you notice that on this whole entire list, there is not one word about appearance? Not one word about the way they look. Our culture teaches the exact opposite of what the Bible teaches. Our culture teaches you that the number one thing you need in your marriage is you need to be sexy and you need to be good looking and our entire society is built on the idea that if you marry someone beautiful that's going to be beautiful for a long time, then you'll have everything you need in a marriage and you're going to be happy. If that were true, the marriages that would last the longest are Hollywood marriages. (laughs) Do Hollywood marriages last the longest? No. And they're all better looking than any of us. The Hollywood myth is that all you need to get married is romantic feelings, sexual attraction, to get rid of your loneliness, someone showing you attention, rescuing you, and everything will be great. No, it won't. That's not the reasons to marry. You may be tired of not being noticed and you want to be noticed and someone pays you a little attention and you think, this person gives me attention. I need to spend the rest of my life with them. No, do you have spiritual unity? Do you have life purpose compatibility? Are they emotionally healthy? Those are the reasons to marry. You might say, Ryland, I don't know if I'll ever find anybody who fits this list. (laughs) Sure you can. Yes, you can. Our church is full of couples who found people based on things like this, following God's word and God's will and God's ways. I would encourage you to, yes, have the faith that you can and pray for the person. Pray for the person that fits these parameters. I think this is the, one of the most important things to pray for, but something that we most often forget to pray for. Pray for the relationships you need in your life. If you need a certain type of A friend? Pray for God to give you that friend. If you need a certain type of employee in in your job and you're a manager or you're an owner, pray for that person. Pray for your spouse. Pray for the person. Now, it's still your choice, okay? It's not like you can sit in your basement and then they're going to come knocking on the window. I mean, you've still got to, I mean, it's still your choice. But pray for the person that you need in your life and then commit to these things. A bad marriage is a thousand times worse than staying single. And as we've gone through these Bible verses, maybe you've realized you're currently dating someone who would be a disaster to marry. What do you do? The fact is, the longer that you date somebody, the harder that breakup's going to be. And I would encourage you to try and find out on the first two dates if they fit uh, these parameters. Look for these things. I would suggest that on your early dates, you spend more time visiting than you do watching a movie. 
Because if you get into a relationship over a longer period of time, the longer you're in it, the more painful it's going to be to get out of it. The longer you're in it, the more painful it will be. So you want to find out quickly, do we have spiritual unity? Do we have some life mission, life purpose compatibility? Are they emotionally healthy? You can discern a lot in a couple or few dates. You can discern a lot without a date. I mean, you can see them in a group setting or at church or at school or different places. You can discern uh, if they have these things. I mean, you can see them at church and see, is this just an empty ritual for them? Or do they value the word of God? Are they taking notes today? Are they worshiping today? Or is this just something to be endured? I mean, you, you can see a lot in how they communicate, you know? Do they know how to actually walk up to me and talk to me? Or do they only ask me on a date through Snapchat and text? And all the women said, amen. <laughs> and now I'm making enemies, so I need to move on and finish. But <laughs> Proverbs 28, 23, it's not on your screen, not in your notes, but it says, in the end, people appreciate frankness more than flattery. In the end, they appreciate frankness more than flattery. I've been clinging to that verse this weekend. And if you have a relationship, you need to end you can cling to that verse as well. And what I would suggest is you don't keep prolonging the relationship that you know is going nowhere. The longer you're in the relationship, the more difficult it'll be. Okay, what if you say, Ryland, um, what do I do in the meantime? I would encourage you to do these four things. Uh, Begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. Number two, get involved in a church family. And uh, we're doing small group, small groups launch this week, so this is a great time to jump into a small group. And uh, if you look through the list and you don't find a small group that seems to fit, I would encourage you to go to Celebrate Recovery. And just make this be the time, have this be the season that you get healthy in some of these factors. Because the, the person that you're looking for that has these is attracted to someone that has these qualities. And so we can help you do that. Uh, Folks, God can solve an anger problem. Does it all the time. God can solve a bitterness problem. That is not too big a mountain for him. We see it happen all the time, but you've got to get serious about it, and you've got to engage God in that endeavor. And then number three, discover and clarify your life purpose. Uh, you can go through growth track. We'd love to help you with that. Read the purpose-driven life, and then commit to God's standard in a spouse. Commit to God's standard in a spouse. All right, the rest of this series, this is one of the most difficult sermons I've ever had to preach. And if you're married today and you say, wow, I mean, uh, we didn't know this. We didn't do this. Hang with us, all right? And come back next week. Come throughout the rest of this series. Let's pray together. Well, Father, we have all kinds of needs represented here in this place today. We've got some married couples who are struggling with their relationships, single adults who have been hurt in a previous relationship or previous marriage, people who would love to be married but the opportunity hasn't arisen. God, you know, you know every situation, every circumstance, every person here today. And God, regardless of our situation, help us realize what we need most is to turn to you and to follow your instruction. Now you pray. Pray, Father, I need your help in my relationships. And first, I need you to work on me. 
going through this list, there's some stuff I need to work on. You know where I'm insecure. You know where I ache. You know where I hurt. You know where I need to heal and change. You know the needs that only you can meet in my life. And I want to trust you to be my Savior. Lord, I want to trust you to be my Savior, not some future relationship, not some man, not some woman. I want to trust you. Help me to build spiritual partnerships, uh, to connect with other believers that draw me closer to you. And thank you for bringing me to this great church family. Now, if you're married here tonight, I just ask you to pray, Lord, help me to build spiritual oneness with my spouse. And for those of you who are single, say, Lord, today I commit, right now, today, I commit to your standard for choosing a mate. And if I ever decide to marry, I want to do it your way. God, your will, your way.